losing face is a huge issue in the quest for change. People who privately change their minds from rejecting an idea to embracing it will seldom let anybody know of their shift once they've gone public with their opinion. Selling an idea to individuals before presenting it to the entire group makes it much easier for people to change their mind. So next time you're seeking to build a consensus for change, remember that saving face is far from an exclusively Asian concept. In fact, no one in any organization wants to to look like a vacillating, uncertain waffler. This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking your leadership skills to the next level. Whether you are a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to episode 37, Building Consensus from the Inside Out. This is the second in a series of podcasts that I'm doing about how to lead change effectively. They're all standalone podcasts, but the series can help leaders as they understand human nature in launching new initiatives on major change. Why do I like to spend so much time talking about change and teaching people about change? <laughs> because every leader has to be involved with change because we live in a changing world. This Saturday morning, I'm going to be doing a two-hour seminar at a big church here in Colorado and it's uh, with a group of leaders from the church, and it's all about adapting to change because they just got a new pastor who's a young guy, and uh, the pastor that retired was an old guy, and this young guy, of course, is bringing about radical change, and guess what? A lot of people, they love it, but they're nervous and they're uncomfortable, so they've asked me to come in and speak to one of the, the groups about the things I've learned about why we need to change, and, and just as an aside, I've got a bag of uh, goodies. And I wasn't going to share this in the podcast, but yeah, maybe I will because it's kind of funny. So I have this uh, a collection of old technology that I've kept uh, through the years just for fun because I'm a tech guy. I just love technology. So I'm going to use these as illustrations with this group, and I'm going to pull one after another out of the bag. So let me tell you some of the things I'm going to be pulling out of the bag. The first thing I'm going to pull out of my bag is a Palm Pilot, the original Palm Pilot. Love that thing. Guess what? Obsolete. Why? Well, because we all have smartphones now. Was it a great idea? Yes. Did they sell a gazillion of them? Yes. What happened to the company that built them? Gone. Second thing I'm pulling out of my bag is an old Brownie Instamatic camera. Amazing. I don't know how many gazillions of those they sold back in the day. A beautiful little black box that took photographs. Well, what happened to Kodak? Well, uh, eventually they had to lay off most of their 30,000 employees up there in uh, in Rochester, New York, uh, because they missed the digital photo revolution. And Kodak is a small shell of its former self. Let me see what else I have in my bag. Let's see. The next thing I'm going to pull out of the bag is a, a brick Motorola phone. You, you know what that is? The, one of the very first cell phones that they had, and it's got a long stringy cord that plugs into the cigarette lighter of your car. And it was one of the very first mobile phones. They called it the brick made by Motorola. Well, let me ask you, how many people today have Motorola cell phones? I was actually with the guy the other day for a meeting who had a, a Motorola 
cell phone. It, it was not a smartphone. Well, it was half smart, but it was old technology. I thought, wow, I haven't seen a Motorola cell phone in forever. What happened to Motorola? Well, it is struggling to not go out of business because they, they missed the revolution in cell phones. What's the point of all this technology? It worked at one time. It was the category buster at one time, but it is obsolete. So things have to change. And I know that in the in the case of Kodak, uh, guess who uh, invented digital photography? That's right. It was invented by somebody at Kodak, but somehow the idea never floated up to the top. So this is about building consensus from the inside out and how to, to get people to buy your new idea. Learn to build consensus among stakeholder groups privately before you let your ideas go public. And we're going to talk about moving from the inside out. Without consensus building, change ideas are dead on arrival. They're DOA. Consensus building should start privately and move to the public forums. And it should move from the inner circles of influence to the outer rings. Have you ever seen this happen where a leader gets up and announces a major change and the leadership team didn't know about it. They were surprised. I've seen that happen. How do those leaders feel? Has that ever happened to you? All of a sudden, some big change is announced by management or leadership, and you're like, I thought I was important in the company, or I thought I was important in the ministry, but I had no idea this was coming. So how do you feel? You feel marginalized. You feel unimportant. You feel devalued. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they wouldn't consult with me. And it just makes you feel horrible. So it's really important to carefully build consensus from the inside out with all the important stakeholders before you publicly announce a big change. As we've already said, leaders have much responsibility in making change happen. And when times demand it, leaders have to change the way they lead. Back in 1991, a long time ago, Warren Bennis prophesied that managers had to change their way of leading. Quote, move to maestro from macho in the way we are thinking, he challenged. This means shelving the old autocratic command and control way of thinking and moving to more of being a maestro of a beautiful orchestra instead of a macho commander. Be a real leader who both listens and guides people to get the job done. That's democratic leadership. That's leadership by consensus building. And again, building that consensus from the inside out. He goes on to say, dump the old style bullying of control, order, and predict. Adopt the approach of the results greater that are known as ACE, acknowledge, create, and empower. So the old approach was COP, which I think is interesting, be a cop. Control, order, predict. To the new approach being an ACE, acknowledge, create, empower. People in charge have imposed change rather than inspiring Bennis laments. We have to build the coalition for change from the inside out. We start with those closest to us that have a kindred spirit, and we build a team that is committed to moving in the new directions. And then we allow the circle to expand outwardly to other people who can influence the future. We try to get as many stakeholders into those ever-expanding circles before any change is ever publicly announced. 
I want to remind you that all of these notes are on my show notes at hansstenzel.com. And and one thing I have on the show notes this week is the diagram of building consensus from the inside out. You may want to refer to that show note for that diagram, as well as always all the books that I mention on my podcast are all mentioned there in the show notes. Top seven reasons why followers resist change. Why do people resist change? Before we proceed to the positive steps needed to make a change happen using this consensus building from the inside out, let's review again some of the reasons why people do not want to change. Now, let me ask you, before I give you my list, I just want you to think for a minute. Now, if you're driving down the road and listening to this podcast, you probably don't want to start making a list there in your smartphone. But if you're at a place where you could actually make some notes, what would you put as a list of the reason why people resist change? I think of change often like a cozy chair or a comfortable pair of shoes. People love what they're familiar with, and they don't like to move out of their comfort zone. They just love their cozy chair that they sit to watch TV or read a book, or they love their favorite pair of shoes. And Recently, I got a new pair of shoes, and I went on a trip for several days, and I took a new pair of shoes with me. It was a big mistake because by the time I was at the airport walking through, getting on my plane, I realized, man, these shoes are not comfortable. And I've got, I'm stuck with them for this whole four day trip. (laughs) And oh, I wish I had those cozy old shoes that are kind of ugly and beat up, but man, are they comfortable. You know, that's why people resist change. It's uncomfortable. And they're moving from the, the cozy to the critical, from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. So here's the seven reasons why I say people resist change. And the first reason I'm going to go ahead and say is the mother of all reasons. And all the other reasons really come back to that first reason. But the the most important reason, you probably got it. When I ask audiences to tell me, why do you think people resist change? They always come up with this four-letter word, fear. Fear of all kinds of things. People just fear. They fear the unknown. They fear the threat to the status quo. They fear just a host of things. Have you ever heard people say that, uh, I love this, the word fear, F-E-A-R, is false expectations appearing real. People would prefer the certainty of their misery than to the misery of uncertainty. Fear, number one reason why people resist change. Number two, insecurity. They may be worse off after the changes, and they don't like that. Or other people may be better off, so they're just insecure about where they're going to end up. In the last podcast, I was using the illustration of when I reorganized my staff one time, and I had to reduce the number of direct reports. And I told the leadership team it was coming. Well, what do you suppose happened? Well, people postured. And people worried. And, you know, everybody wanted to be at the table when it was all said and done. But I had to, believe it or not, I had a span of control of 12 people and I had to move down to about four or five. So half the people at the table were not going to be at the table when this restructuring was over. And they were going to have to start reporting to other people who had been their peers at the table. How do you suppose they felt? Completely and terribly insecure. Not maybe everybody, but most people at that time, you know, they want to be on the leadership team and and they're worried will there even be a job for me when this is over. Every time there is a structural reorganization in any company, any ministry, people do lose jobs. Uh, 
there's outsourcing, <laughs> there's flattening of organizations. Uh, I heard a new one recently, delayering. Have you heard about that one? Companies are delayering, making fewer layers and absolutely eliminating a whole level of management. So obviously people fear change because they may lose their position, they may lose their influence, they may lose their power, they might even lose their job. Number three, power. They may lose power in the shuffle. And even though people may have a lot of power or a little power, they like the power that they do have. Number four, inertia. It's easier to maintain the status quo. I had a professor years ago in graduate school. He said one of the greatest challenges of leadership is overcoming initial inertia. And that's true because overcoming initial inertia is what change is all about. And there is so much inertia keeping the status quo. When our kids were little, I've told the story of us going on the Oregon Trail and following the Oregon Trail and going to several of these interpretive centers. And a few podcasts ago, I actually did a podcast about, you know, would you have gotten on those Conestoga wagons and, and gone west as a dreamer? But I remember the ruts that were dug into the rocks and so many wagon wheels went through those ruts. And if you tried to get out of the ruts, all the inertia is taking you back into those ruts. I remember meetings with leaders where we would talk about change, and we would all agree to the changes that we were going to implement. We wrote them down. We said, this is what we're going to do. Three weeks later, I find one of my leaders doing it the old way, and I go to him and I say, wait a minute, didn't we agree we're going to do things the new way? And <laughs> looked at me with his deer in the headlights uh, look. You know, he didn't say a lot because it's like I caught him red-handed. But, you know, I was gracious and, and all that. But I said, you know, we have to fight this battle to change things because we agreed the old way's not working anymore. We have to abandon those palm pilots because we're living in a smartphone reality. So that's number four, inertia. Let me just review again. Fear is number one. Insecurity is number two. Power is number three. Inertia is number four. Number five is similar to number four, but it's energy. It takes a lot of work to change things. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. And you know, we're busy. And one of the biggest problems of change programs is people are too busy to, to work on the new stuff. And, and one of the greatest things you could do is to peel some people off and, and free them up to work on change initiatives. Because I've found that most people in leadership and management are overextended and are so busy just maintaining the status quo, they don't have the energy left to do something new. When we did a major change initiative in our ministry years ago, we, we actually appointed a director of change a vice president of change for several years because we were embarking on a massive change and we created a change team, but we freed this person up. His full-time job was to manage the change process because it takes a lot of energy. Number six, money. It takes money. When we did the relocation of the international headquarters from the Chicago area to the, the Colorado area, I remember getting a letter from one of our people that lived in a, in another country, and, and they were just complaining about the money it was going to take. And for me, it was an investment in our future, and that's paid off because that happened 15 years ago, and it was a great facility that postured us for the future. And in the long range uh, view of things, it wasn't that much money. But for some people, you know, change costs money and some people don't ever like to spend money and they will fight you on the issue of money. 
I will say as an aside, don't spend the money if you don't have it. We were thankful about a year after we moved into that facility, it was all paid off. I've seen uh, leaders get organizations into huge trouble by spending money they don't have. So you got to be really careful about that. And finally, number seven, tradition. A lot of people will fight change just on the basis of tradition. <laughs> tradition is so strong. Tradition. Some people will always lag behind because they're traditionalists. They like the old way and they do not like the new way. I was uh, helping a group, another nonprofit organization recently, and I was helping the board and I, we were going through the seven key questions that Peter Drucker uh, always um, asks organization about their identity. I should do a podcast on Drucker's five key questions, but one of them is who is your customer? And it was interesting that this is a nonprofit organization, and one of the board members really, really, really hated that question. We don't have customers because we don't sell anything. You know, we're all about benevolence and doing good in the world, and I don't like the term customer. And I thought to myself, well, there you go. <laughs> I understand. It's one of those dirty business words for some of the nonprofits out there and some of the churches. Tradition. So you have to fight tradition. Let me just say that change will face many detractors. It's up to leaders and influencers to turn these seven resistances around, showing that each one will be served by supporting the change, not opposing it. Saving face is not just an Asian concept. Another way to say that you need to work from the inside out is to invoke the principle of persuading individuals before selling groups. One of the basic fundamental principles in change dynamics is that groups respond differently to change proposals than do individuals. When seeking to change the direction of a group, you have to sell its individuals first, especially its key influencers. When an idea is presented to an entire group, everyone's reactions are publicly registered. Everyone sees where everyone else stands in the initial reaction. It reminds me of many public meetings that you see in your community associations or in political settings, and people feed on each other. Once you have gone on record, you lose face if you change your initial reaction. So people who initially reacted negatively are not going to want to lose face and change their mind publicly and all of a sudden support the change. Losing face is a huge issue in the quest for change. People who privately change their minds from rejecting an idea to embracing it will seldom let anybody know of their shift once they've gone public with their opinion. Selling an idea to individuals before presenting it to the entire group makes it much easier for people to change their mind. So next time you're seeking to build a consensus for change, remember that saving face is far from an exclusively Asian concept. In fact, no one in any organization wants to look like a vacillating, uncertain waffler. By identifying addressing opposition on an individual level, you give people the chance to consider your points, then quite possibly change their minds in privacy and safety. I have seen that happen so many times.
When mapping out how to lead your group through major changes, be careful to work the process through the circle of ownership from the inside out. In other words, look for consensus first from within the organization's most powerful and effective circles, or your idea will be DOA. John Young of Hewlett Packard says successful companies have a consensus from the top to the bottom on a set of overall goals. The most brilliant management strategy will fail if that consensus is missing. Circles of ownership from the inside out. If you're not in these circles, look for ways to win your supervisor's confidence. You can penetrate the circle even if you're not in the inner circle. Leaders ultimately have to buy in and drive the process forward from the inside out. But good leaders should be listeners, and they can be radically influenced. You simply have to master your pitch, be sure it conveys great urgency, and shows where the leader's self-interest lies. You'll win their support. I've had many things where I've been the, the leader, but I've been greatly influenced by people who were not in leadership. You can make a difference. So again, if you go to my show notes, you'll see this actual diagram. And let me just uh, mention in the podcast the, the circles of influence. And in this case, I have six circles of influence. Begins in the very center, the board circle, the decision-making board of your organization, business, or nonprofit. The board is generally always in the middle. Number two, the inner circle of top leadership, the inside members of the executive team. Number three, the general management circle. These would be the managers, the middle-level leaders. Number four, the next circle out are key stakeholder circles. These could be other key people that should be in the loop and, and have influence. It could be legacy leaders from the past, retirees, key donors, a wide variety of other key stakeholders who, you, who better know before the public decision is announced. Uh, circle five, key opposition circle, those identified as opponents. And finally, number six, the rank and file members of the, the general members of the organization, uh, those people that should be informed before things go public. It could be just the employees. And just as an aside, you know, Jesus <laughs> had the same model. Maybe some of you are thinking about this when I talk about it. Uh, Jesus had three in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And those three were his inner circle. And then he had the 12, you know, the disciples, and then he had the 72 who were the next circle out. And then the masses, you could say the 3,000 or however many were following him. So he actually worked from the inside out. What's the point here? Without consensus building from the inside out, change ideas are dead on arrival. This consensus building should start privately and move to the public forums, and it should move from the inner circles of influence to the outer rings. Everyone's important in the circles, but it's really important about timing and sequence. Let me give you an illustration as we wind up this podcast. I told you about the illustration of moving our international headquarters from Chicago to Colorado. It was a big deal. One of the biggest things that I led in terms of a change initiative and I was traveling with the chairman of my board, Peter, and he's one of my podcast listeners. So, Peter, you remember this story when you and I were together in Japan, and he was one of the greatest chairmen of my board I ever had, and he continues to be a great friend to this very day. And, of course, the first inner circle when I thought about the possibility of moving was my own wife, Donna, and she. I didn't want to float this up the flagpole if she wasn't agreeable, but uh, 
FYI, she's a native of Colorado, so that was an easy sell. There were a lot of compelling reasons for considering moving west, and uh, maybe in one of the other podcasts I'll unpack some of that, but... It was a cheaper cost of living. It was actually getting us closer to our constituency. It was primarily on the West Coast and air travel, lots of cost, of lots of, lots of reasons. But uh, Peter and I were together in um, Japan for a uh, site visit on some things we were doing out there as an organization. And we were actually at a Denny's restaurant. And I floated the idea to Peter, what would you think if we sold the building and moved our operation to Colorado? And he asked me, well, why would you want to do that? And I gave him my reasons because I'd already been building my case for change. And he said, yeah, let's float it up to the board. So uh, we did float it up to the board and then we floated it with my inner circle. And I kind of put out this fleece that I didn't want to upset the organization or hurt the organization. So I kind of had this deal that I wanted unanimity that everybody on the leadership team would agree that it was a great idea. And that's what happened. The whole board considered it as a great idea. They said, yes, the whole inner leadership team considered the idea and they said, yes. And then, so we moved out from those inner circles out to those concentric circles of responsibility. So that's, it worked great, but you got to work from the inside out. Let me give you some final takeaways. If you consider this in your next change initiative, list the key stakeholder groups in your organization, your business, your ministry, your church, and then rank them in order of influence in your group. Actually make that diagram and try to make those circles and consider which groups are most critical to win over first with your new ideas and what order. And then identify, make a list of who are the real power brokers of influence. And they could be anywhere in that constellation, not always in the center. You know people of great influence can often be on the edges. And then who is the single most important person in your organization that has to give the nod of approval for these ideas to move forward? Is it a person? Is it a small group of leaders? Whoever it is, those are the people you need to cultivate as you work on these circles of responsibility. Make that list of the small group of individuals that you can count on to share your compassion about change. That will be your guiding coalition. They become your inner circle as you Build your consensus from the inside out. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. <music>